0: The truth in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, good evening. Well, tonight we get to continue our our gospel and series, right? And uh, the whole point of this series is to say that the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to take off my mask here. careful. There we go. The whole point is that the gospel of Jesus Christ has something to say about our whole lives, right? It's not just about how do we get into heaven, but, but it says and transforms everything about our life. And so Jason talked about um, how the gospel affects how we think about politics a couple months ago. And last month we talked about how the gospel affects how we think about social media and technology. And, and tonight, uh, I get to talk to you about what the gospel says about mental health. And of course, mental health is a is a very large topic, right? So I don't intend to, to cover everything. Uh, that would be impossible. Uh, but I, I want to share just, just two couple, I guess a couple important things with you. The first is that the Bible affirms that mental health struggles exist and gives a reason for why they exist. And that the second is that the gospel gives us hope. Gives us hope in the midst of our mental health struggles. What are those uh, mental health struggles? Well, there are over 200 diagnosable uh, struggles. And I'm not going to share them all. all, right, but... But some of the most prevalent uh, are anxiety disorders. And so you have general anxiety disorder. There's panic uh, disorders. You have social anxiety disorders. There's eating disorders such as anorexia or bulimia. Uh, there are mood disorders such as a bipolar disorder or uh, depression falls into these mood disorders. You have personality disorders. Um, there's, there's schizophrenia and, and other what's called uh, psychotic disorders, is what's the term, right? And, and I bring these all up because in this room, we will have some people with some diagnosed mental illnesses. And the rest of us in this room will at some point, maybe for an extended season, experience some of the things on this list, right? Right? Will experience seasons of anxiety, will experience seasons of um, depression. And so, while mental uh, health struggles may affect some people in this room more than others, it will affect all of us at some point. And I think all of us are probably aware that's even more true for college students. Once they said that about 63% of college students said they faced overwhelming anxiety. Another study showed that about 30% of college students said they were so depressed that it was difficult to function at some point during the year. Think about it. 67% face overwhelming anxiety, 30% face depression, and COVID has only made things uh, worse and harder and not better in this area. Um, There was a study done by the American Psychological Association. And they said, seven in 10 people in your generation were show- showed signs of depression in this past year. Seven in 10. Think about that. Some people call 2020 a mental health crisis. Right, and I, I share all of these stats with you. Um, one, to, to de-stigmatize mental health struggles. And two, to stress that if you are in here and you're struggling with your mental health, you are not alone. And if you're not right now struggling, you probably will someday. And in both cases, I think the gospel has a word of encouragement for us. It has something for us. So let's pray and we will open up God's word. God, I thank you for this opportunity to gather, to hear what your word says. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to engage with your word. You've promised that your word will not return empty or void. We pray that would hold true during this time. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, you can open up with me to Psalm 77. Uh, if you don't, I think it will be on the screen behind me. It says... We're just going to read the first couple of verses here. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And the the first point I just want to draw from the text is this. The Bible affirms the existence of mental health struggles, and he gives the reason for their existence. Psalm 77 was was written by a man named Asaph, and and he was uh, one of David's chief musicians. And we don't know the circumstances that he was in when he wrote this psalm. But we know the depression that he was feeling when he wrote it, you can see it if we look back, right? Verses one through three. It says, I, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. The psalmist begins by saying, I- I'm shouting at you, God. Do you hear me? I'm yelling at you. And he's trying to believe that God answers his prayers. But you can sense the struggle that he's feeling. Have you ever felt like when you're praying um, that you're just talking to a wall? I think that's what the psalmist is feeling here. Only he's feeling, I'm screaming at that wall and getting nothing. And he doesn't stop there, right? He goes on into verse 2. He says, in my day of trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearing. My soul refuses to be comfort. He's literally praying day and night to God. In the daytime, he's seeking God. In the night, he's got his hands raised, crying out to God. And he's getting nothing. He says, no matter how much I pray, no matter what I do, my soul refuses to be comforted. And maybe you're like, I can see he's upset. um, But what makes you say he's depressed? How do you know he's depressed in this text? Well, he uses the same language as a man uh, who was talking his depression years later. There was a guy named Charles Spurgeon. He was a a preacher uh, in the 19th century, so in the 1800s, in England. And when he was 22 years old, he was regularly preaching before a crowd of 10,000 people. Can you imagine that? Just like doing public speaking from a crowd of 10,000 people regularly. Kind of terrifying at the age of 22, right? But he's doing this. And one time, when he's preaching, some pranksters come in and they start yelling, Fire, fire! The whole place is coming down. And chaos erupts. People are literally tearing clothes, they're they're trampling over children. The whole place is just in a mess as people think they're trying to escape this fire that isn't really there. And it ends up killing seven people. 28 more get severely injured. And it wrecks Charles Spurgeon. He goes into a deep depression over this event. And listen to the language he used to describe his depression. He said, I refuse to be comforted. Same words of the psalmist. I refused to be comforted. Tears were my meat by day, and dreams my terror by night. I felt as I had never felt before. My thoughts, which had been to me a cup of delight, were like pieces of broken glass, the piercing and cutting miseries of my pilgrimage. So Charles Spurgeon, this this giant famed speaker, right, he was saying exactly what this psalmist was saying. My soul refuses to be comforted in the midst of depression. And for the psalmist, as he refuses to be comforted, and in, instead of being comforted by the thought of God, it only brought about pain for him. Right? He says in verse 3, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. He's saying when I take a moment to just take a deep breath, I just fall apart worse than before. This is the language of someone who's depressed. He's experiencing the, the dark night of the soul. And every attempt he's making to try and make it better, it isn't working for him. And I think we see in this the Bible affirming that our mental health struggles are real. Right? The Bible doesn't deny these realities that we face in this world. It points us to the, to the reality that mental health struggles. Are part of the human condition. It exists now, probably among everyone in this room at some point or other. It existed in this man literally 2,500 years ago. And it goes back even farther than that. See, mental health struggles, mental illness, it goes back to Genesis 3. It goes back to the fall. When, When humans were created, we were created with a purpose. We were created to know God and have a relationship with God and have relationships with other people. And our minds were designed for that purpose, right? Our thinking was given so that we could live out this God-given purpose. Our minds thought about the good and the right and the beautiful. They'd never experienced evil, evil done to them or doing evil to another. Our minds were created for this purpose of, of knowing God and and loving other people. What happened? Adam sinned against God. And and when sin entered the world, with it came brokenness. The the entire world was affected by it. The entire world was, was hit with this curse of sin. And that includes humans in our totality, both body and soul. And and it's important to make this distinction. Um, Christianity defines a person as both our body and our soul. So we're not like Plato who said that we're just souls inside of a tomb. And and we're not uh, saying that we're just a series of of chemicals and neurons shooting off. But historically we've always said, Christians have always said that we are both a body and and a soul, and this is important because both parts affect our uh, our mental health. Both our body and soul affect our mental health, right? Diet and exercise affects our mental health because our bodies are important to who we are as people. Um, genetics and, and chemical imbalances affect our mental health because they're part of who we are as people. In other words, sometimes our mental health struggles are physiological rather than psychological. Sometimes they're physiological rather than psychological, right? But we are also uh, souls, minds, and they've also been affected by sin. Like I said, they, they were not meant to experience evil, but they have experienced evil, right? They were meant to always see the good and the right and the beautiful, but now they struggle to do that. They were meant to know God, but now they struggle to do that. It's through the fall, because sin entered into this world, that mental health struggles exist. And let me just say really clearly, because I just talked about sin, right? Mental health struggles exist because sin entered the world, but mental health struggles are not sin. When sin entered the world, it, it cursed our bodies, it cursed our minds, it tragically impacted everything, but does not mean that our mental health struggles are sinful themselves. And this goes against uh, a common thought process among some people. There's some who who say, uh, well, if you just have more faith, if you just pray more, that would take care of all your mental health struggles. And I just want to point out that this passage emphatically rejects that. The Bible rejects that. Because this man is sitting here praying day and night. He's praying more than any of us, harder than any of us, and his mental struggles persist. Right? And so if you've ever felt guilty for your struggles, if you've ever felt like maybe if I, I had more faith, maybe if I prayed more, I just want to free you of that guilt. Or if someone's ever told you that, I just want to free you of that. Because the Bible absolutely affirms that your mental health struggles exist, they are real, and they are an effect of the fall, but they are not sin. So what do these these mental health struggles do to the psalmist in this text? How do they affect him? See that in verses 4 through 6 when he says, you hold my eyelids open, I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. So let's put on our our little Bible imagination caps and try and picture what he's doing. He's uh, just spent all night praying to the Lord. And now he's laying in bed. And he's trying to fall asleep. And he just can't fall asleep. You know, he turns to one side. uh, he, He turns to the other side tries two pillows, tries to, you know, the classic, like, pillow over the top of the face instead. Uh, maybe he goes up, uses the restroom, takes a drink of water, comes back, tries to go sleep again, and he's just left there, his eyes wide open. He cannot sleep. I don't know about you guys, but I've had a couple nights like that. Uh, I had one last night in my, my anxiety over this. And I don't know about you guys, but when I'm having those nights, I read. That's what I, I tend to do. I have a little nightlight that I'll read. Well, for Asaph, as he's tossing and turning, trying to fall back to sleep, he thinks to himself, I know, I'm going to try and sing uh, a worship song to help comfort me. He says, I'll let me remember a song. And it brings him no comfort. He says, let me just try and, and think of anything. Let me search my heart for anything. And he finds nothing. That will bring him comfort from his depression. He said was trying to find hope. And he couldn't do it in the midst of his, his mental health struggle. The depression had caused him to lose comfort. It caused him to lose all peace. It caused him to lose all hope. And they left him asking some really hard, honest questions to God. In verse 7, right? Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Have you ever prayed to God like that before? Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Uncertain if he still loves you? Just gotten so angry with God that it just all pours out. That's what he's doing. He's depressed and he's trying to find some sort of hope. And he is struggling. And it's causing him to question everything. Have you ever been there? This leads us to, uh, to my second main point. And it's simply this. The gospel provides hope. In the midst of our mental health struggles. The gospel provides hope in the midst of our mental health struggles. He goes on in verses 10 through 15. He said, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders You've made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. See, the psalmist, he tries to remember the redemptive work of God. He says, I'm struggling to see this in my own life right now. I'm struggling to find hope. I'm struggling to believe God. And so I'm going to look to his redemptive work. And we see in the, the rest of this text that for the psalmist, that meant look. Uh, meant looking back to the time of Moses and the Red Sea. If you don't know the story, the, the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. And so Moses goes to the Pharaoh and he says, let the Israelites go. And the Pharaoh of course says, no, I'm not going to just let these slaves go. And so 10 plagues end up coming down on the Egyptians and they say, okay, get out of here. We, we don't want you in here anymore. And so the Israelites get to, get to be let go. Only Pharaoh changes his mind. And he starts deciding he wants to pursue the Israelites. So he starts pursuing them. As the Israelites are escaping, they they end up at the Red Sea. And they look around, right? They have nowhere to go. There's no escape for them. They're hopeless as the, the Egyptian pursuers come close. But then God opens up the Red Sea. For them to pass through. And they they walk through the Red Sea. As the Egyptians try and pursue in the Red Sea, the waters come crashing down on them and they're defeated. This was the, the Israelites' point of redemption. This was the Israelites' place of redemption that they looked to. And Christians, we have a great moment of redemption that we look to as well. All of us are sinners. All of us uh, have sinned against a holy God. And God, being just, must punish sin. We, our own spirits, testify to this. Because when we do wrong, we we feel guilty. We feel like we should be punished. And and there's nowhere that we can run. There's nowhere that we can hide. There's no escaping our Egypt. No escaping the punishment for our sin. Except for this, that Christ came for us. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross for our sins. So now God has opened up another Red Sea for our redemption. He's opened up the Red Sea of Christ's blood for us to walk through. To find our redemption for us. He's opened up the Red Sea for us to walk through into eternal bliss. That Red Sea of Christ's blood. And there we get the the righteousness of Christ. And all of our enemies, when Satan and the world and the flesh attack us and try and preach through the Red Sea of Christ's blood, crashes down on them, and Christ says, He is mine. And our enemies are defeated by Christ's blood. And if you've believed in Christ, this is our great moment of redemption that we look to. This is our great moment that we remember Christ Jesus is. The redemption that we look to. And I think in doing, we gain a few reasons for hope in the midst of specifically our mental health struggles. The first reason is this. Jesus has experienced these things with us. And are you struggling with anxiety? Jesus, when he was praying to me, he started sweating blood Medically, that only happens in times of extreme anxiety. Jesus knew what it is to be anxious. Are you sad? Are you depressed? Jesus was called the man of sorrows. Jesus had to go to pray in the garden because it said he was feeling really troubled and sorrowful. Jesus knows what it means to be sorrowful and depressed feeling abandoned. Jesus knew what it was to feel abandoned on the cross. Jesus understood and experienced the mental health struggles that we go through now in this life. He felt the weight of anxiety. He felt the sorrow of depression and despair. So he comforts us as one who knows. He comforts us with a tender love that only one who understands can. The only one who's walked through it before us can. So we have hope in our mental health struggles because Christ comforts us as one who understands them. I think the second reason we have hope is that for the Christian, every mental health struggle is purposeful. Every mental health struggle is purposeful. We know that because for Jesus, every mental health struggle was purposeful. The first purpose, we just talked about, so he could comfort others. And for some of us in this room, we will experience things so that we can comfort others. And for some of us, um, we won't know the purpose. And that's, that's the second reason it was purposeful for Jesus, right? Because it was preparing him for the cross. All the anxiety, that he experienced, all the sorrow led him to prayer. It led him to dependence on God. And it was what prepared him to go to the cross. And his disciples, they, they didn't understand why he was feeling this way. Jesus asked them to pray and they fall asleep. They don't understand. And sometimes we don't understand our mental health struggles either. But for the Christian, we can know it has a purpose even when we don't see it. It did for Jesus. it does for us. And finally, the third reason the gospel gives us hope in the midst of our mental health struggles, that one day we will no longer experience any mental illness. Christ offers us hope because since He has defeated sin and death, all mental illness will one day be wiped away from the earth. And that future reality gives us a present hope, right? All, uh, all sorrow, pain, depression, all eating disorders, bipolar disorders, all of it will pass away with the new heavens and the new earth. And we live in this already but not yet, in which someday all mental health struggles will be gone. That might be when we see the Lord face to face, or it might come sooner at some point in this life. As Jesus walks with us. But it's certain that one day, every mental illness that you face in this room will no longer face you, be a struggle for you. I hope you find hope in that. Um, I do. Personally, I've never had uh, severe depression for a long term. but I've had a panic attack or two. Uh, I remember one really vividly. I was a senior in college, and we, we had, uh, you know, a house of, of a couple of us guys, and me and another guy, we shared a bedroom. And in that bedroom, we had a recliner, because my roommate liked recliners. And one day, I was sitting there, and I, it was the, kind of the beginning of the semester, and I went in that recliner to just pray, to ask God, and just, to just kind of go through all the things that are happening in the semester. And I started getting really overwhelmed. And my body stopped being able to move. And I started breathing really hard. I started getting really anxious. And I, I was paralyzed by fear. I wanted to scream out, but I was just paralyzed. I could hear my roommates in the other room. And I wanted so bad for one of them just to come in to shake me out of it. I wanted so bad to scream out to them, but I couldn't. I was just paralyzed. Body. Soul. Soul. 20 minutes passed, and I started breathing normal again. Body movements started coming back. The panic attack had passed. And I think back on that experience. I have hope. I have hope because, one, I know Jesus was there with me. But I also have hope because I may experience in this life 10 more panic attacks, 20 more panic attacks, A 100 more panic attacks, more severe than the next. But someday I'll never experience anxiety again. The gospel gives us hope in the midst of our struggles. There's one final thing I want to point out about this passage though. Look at verse 19 with me. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God's way for God's people was through the raging scene, while God's very own lightning came down around them. These people, they looked around and they, they saw nowhere to go until the Red Seas parted. But this wasn't. Uh, A walk in the park. This was a chaotic scene. There was a storm raging all around. They were walking through these waters, right? And there's a a whirlwind on their left. The only way they're able to see is when the lightning crashes down next to them. And you're walking there. You're soaking wet. You're scared. Egypt's still pursuing you. you. Keep taking one step forward. You're terrified, but you just keep taking one step forward. The psalmist, when he describes this event, he says, yet God's footprints were unseen. He says, when he looked back at what happened, he saw God in the thunder and in the lightning. But there walking, his footprints were unseen. God's path was through the raging waters. God's path was through the storming sea. But his footprints were nowhere to be found. In our darkest moments, when we feel the the hurricane of depression come over us, when we feel the the raging storms of anxiety on every side, we can't see God's footprints. Yet the psalmist says, You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The psalmist couldn't see his immediate immediate redemption. And when he he looked back and remembered God's redemption, all of his problems definitely did not go away. His depression was still there. His struggle was still there. But he saw a faithful God who led his people. And when we look back at our redemption, when we look back at Jesus, we see a faithful God who still leads his people through the hurricanes that surround us. So as I conclude, I just want to give us a few practical next steps. And the first is this. If you are walking through mental health struggles, get the help that you need. Tell your D group, uh, a community group, go to Restore that we offer here at this church, Get a counselor. Get the help that you need. And do so without any fear or shame or guilt. Because the Bible absolutely affirms your mental health struggles. And it tells you why they exist in this world. Because of the fall. Number two, if if you're friends with someone who's struggling, be there for them. Be the Moses. Be the Aaron that led the people out of the sea. When they couldn't see God's footprints, Moses and Aaron led the people. Be a Moses. Be an Aaron. Help people as they struggle. And number three, let's all remember Jesus who felt what we feel, who experienced what we experience. Let's take comfort. Knowing that, that the one who has experienced the very things that we experience is the one who comforts us. And that one day all things will be made new. If you're a Christian today, wherever you are with your mental health, the beautiful thing is that you can know the answer to the questions that Asaph asked. You can have hope because you can know the answers. He asked, Will the Lord, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Romans 8:31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He asked, has his steadfast love ceased? Romans 8, 38, and 39. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. Are His promises at an end for all time? 2 Peter, His divine powers grant us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us His own glory and salvation by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Second Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Has he shut up his compassion? Second Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. All our affliction includes our mental health struggles. So we have a great hope because in the midst of our mental health struggles, as Charles Spurgeon, the preacher I mentioned earlier, once said, Jesus is touched not with a feeling of your strength, but with your infirmity. Down here, poor, feeble, nothings affect the heart of their great high priest. As the mother feels with the weakness of her babe, so does Jesus feel with the poorest, saddest, and weakest of his home. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the wonderful truth of the comfort that you provide. God, that you, in your word, say that our Our mental health struggles exist. You don't deny these realities. God, that you give us a reason for why they exist, because sin has entered the world. But God, you give us a great hope. You give us a great hope because Jesus has lived and died for us. And in so doing, he's experienced these things, and he comforts as one who's experienced these things. And we will one day never have to experience any mental health struggles again. We look to you, Jesus, thankful that when we are weak, you do not forget us, but you love us, you draw near to us, and you give us hope. We're thankful that we know all of the answers to the psalmist's questions. God, you love us always, that Christ, you are near us always, and that we are never without hope. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be right back. back.